You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming at WERA.FM. Magic doesn't occur in the hands of the magician. It occurs in the minds of the spectators. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. Today's episode was inspired by a brief report in the July 2021 Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences entitled Stable Individual Differences in Infants' Responses to Violations of Intuitive Physics. <laughs> in plain English, that means Yasmin Perez and Lisa Faginson at Johns Hopkins University Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences were looking at how babies respond to the unexpected to magically defied expectations. It was a first, a longitudinal study of infant curiosity that found that the babies most captivated by magic tricks became the most curious toddlers, and that perhaps a pre-verbal baby's level of interest in defied expectations remains constant over time and might even predict their future cognitive ability. So this was interesting to me for obvious reasons, but my mind went to the magic part of the study. I wondered, what are the possible intersections and interplay of curiosity and magic. Is our experience of magic an expression of curiosity? Does one rely on the other? And who could I talk to about that? Mitch Praver, that's who. By day, Mitch is president and co-founder of Devexi, a health and medical research analytics platform for epidemiologists. He's a serial entrepreneur and intrapreneur and has served as a COO at NPR and president of National Geographic Digital Media. But I have come to know him as a magician, a true connoisseur of the art and craft of magic, in particular, close-up magic, magic performed in intimate settings, using common, everyday objects like a pack of cards, a dollar bill, or rubber bands. Mitch considers himself a student of close-up magic, and in November 2018, he joined 50 of the top magicians in the world for the first ever magic festival in Havana, Cuba. And well, I'm going to let him tell those stories. So welcome, Mitch. Well, thank you, Lynn. It's a pleasure to be with you. And again, congratulations on your big milestone, passing 150 episodes. That's quite an accomplishment. Well, thank you. It's been it's been a lot of fun, not least because it takes me to surprising conversations like this. <laughs> so it seems likely to me that you were one of those babies transfixed by anything magical. What do you think? Well, I can safely say that I was one of those babies and toddlers and children that always ask why, probably mm -hmm. to the point of being annoying. I never accepted things at face value and would always be asking why. And I think that that has stayed with me throughout my educational endeavors and my career and, and the hobby of close-up magic. I can remember in school, camping out at the library in section seven, 
a magical number. <laughs> a magical number for me in the Dewey Decimal System, where there were shelves of books containing secrets, uh. wonderful secrets. And I would devour them. And I would also devour biographies of magicians. And um, I guess it wasn't until my sixth birthday when my parents hired a magician and the magician made tomato juice come out of my elbow through a funnel that I thought, (laughs) I was so curious about how and why and where and when this all can work and create these moments of astonishment. So do you think magicians are curious by nature? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Because there are several aspects to magic. So there's the the technical, well, there's first the secret, right? And some people love to absorb secrets, but that's only the beginning. That's yeah. the first step. That's the tip of the iceberg. And, and then if you're passionate about magic and you're curious, then you usually endeavor into the technical aspects. And that's sleight of hand. And there are, there are so many books written about this topic, more than you could possibly read. And therefore, it becomes almost like a scavenger hunt. You're trying to learn the best versions of those techniques or read the best descriptions of those techniques. And can you ever master those? Can you ever be perfect? No, <laughs> you can't. Uh-huh. And, and magic, unlike other arts, if you do become perfect, that only means it can't be seen. Right. I have come to appreciate just the layers of stuff that's going on and the stuff that that you as a magician, one, have to be curious about, two, have to master, but even just to sort of be thinking about and unpack that a little bit for the people who have not spent the last several weeks on a deep yeah. dive on this. What do you... What are you curious about? What are you thinking about as a magician kind of coming into your art? Yes. Well, first of all, most people have never seen world-class professional close-up magic. Mm -hmm. They may have seen magicians on TV. They may have seen their Uncle Louie pull a quarter out of their ear, but very few people have seen it in person where it's meant to be seen. And, you know, magicians spend their lives creating those magical moments, those moments of astonishment, those moments of wonder. And those moments, you know, take minutes to perform, but they take months or years to learn and decades to develop. And as you were saying, there are so many layers. And as you begin to peel the onion, you learn about, as we were just talking about, the technical aspects. And... There's a Bible of card magic called The Expert at the Card Table by Erdnase, and he writes, you have to develop your magic to the point where it's not detected, let alone suspected. It's invisible, right? Then you get to the artistic aspects, the, the aspects of presentation, the aspects of psychology, the aspects of misdirection, understanding peripheral vision, understanding dramatic build in theater, understanding the use of comedy to relax an audience. There are so many different aspects that you need to draw upon. So that's why I say it's it's kind of like a scavenger hunt because you pull, you draw upon all these different fields in order to become 
proficient at your art. And then there's the aspect of scripting and theming and character and differentiation, which is yet another aspect. And scripting is very important because the use of words, the use of eye contact, the use of interpersonal behavior leads the audience to remember what you want them to remember about what you have performed, which is fascinating both in the short term and the long term. Yeah. It is fascinating because it is. And I, I really, again, thank you for this, because as I have been reading and looking at this stuff and really realizing how much of the art is in building the relationship with the audience. Yes. Yeah. Magic doesn't occur in the hands of the magician, as most people think. It, it occurs in the minds of the spectators. That's where magic occurs. So you can learn and practice and study. And as you mentioned, I'm a student of magic. So you can study till the cows come home. You don't become a true magician until you're performing for people. Mm. So if you're not performing for people, you're just practicing. Mm -hmm. So you need to get, in addition to learning all of these different aspects and being curious about so many different things, and not only having the curiosity, but the passion and the desire and the persistence, because curiosity without the other three you know, doesn't, doesn't solve it. So uh, you have to get the flight time and you learn more about the reactions of the people that you're performing for. And that's what makes the changes in your presentation, in your performance, much like David Blaine, David Blaine is a very popular magician. He does close-up magic and he does uh, physical feats, but in terms of close-up magic, he was really the first to have these television specials where the camera wasn't focused on his hands. It was focused on the reaction of the spectators uh-huh. and you could see those reactions in, in real time. You could see how they transformed into these moments of wonder. And that really set the tone for a lot of close-up magic that we see today because the importance is in the reaction and the, and the minds of the spectators. Because you had nothing else to do in the pandemic. You wrote a whole book, <laughs> which I have been reading. And you had actually a great line in it that I thought really sort of summed it up that when done right, magic is a theatrical art of creating the convincing illusion of impossibility. And this is one of these places where curiosity comes back for me because I think of choosing to be curious as acting on a belief that there's potential in the unknown in what's not yet known to be possible. And so I think that's the thing that sort of got me kind of going down this lane is this idea about playing with our ideas of what's possible. And that's really what magic seems to boil down to. Yeah, that's that's an inspired question. So, and an important one. When you see some magicians perform tricks that are merely puzzles, right? You know, how did Uncle Louie pull a quarter out of your ear, right? It's just a puzzle to be solved. And then on the other hand, if you see magic that just seems too impossible, you just write it off, you know, in stage magic. Well, it must have been the box or the mirror or the Uh smoke, right? right. right? So, So I... My focus in magic is to operate, as you were saying, in the in the space between the improbable and the impossible, but not go beyond either side. It that's the space where you perform and you walk the audience down this path, and then when the effect is resolved, 
there's no conceivable answer. It's, it's astonishing. And it creates a sense of wonder, a sense of sometimes even joy, because as adults, we get stayed in our, in our convictions. And when we see something that, that takes us outside of our typical understanding of what's possible and what is not, it just is a wonderful feeling. And at the start of the discussion, you were talking about babies and, uh-huh. and children. And and babies, you know, they have that sense of wonder and that sense of joy. And and it's miraculous to watch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But at the same time, children are the most difficult audience to fool. Really? Why is that? Yeah. Because they're, 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 their minds aren't as evolved, therefore... They don't know what's possible and what's not possible at that early stage. Oh, so they're but not with, censoring information in the same way that we learn to. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Interesting. And and adults are probably the easiest to fool, and smart adults are the easiest. Oh. <laughs> so, so uh, the smarter you are and the older you are, the easier you are to fool because you're so entrenched in what can and cannot be done, what, what is possible and what isn't possible. But, but that space between improbable and impossible is a fascinating space. And in writing this book, like I actually wrote it for myself because uh-huh. I had so much information in my head. It's almost like it's a hard drive. I just needed to get it out and, and organize it. And, and magic has been such a passion for me, and, and it's been such a wonderful companion along the way. I'm thinking about publishing it for free as a give back to the thousands of amateur magicians and students like myself that are considering becoming a professional. But what I was uh, leading to was that when I think about how this book connected all the dots for me in terms of my other interests in life, and I have you know several passions, but all of those passions seem to have something in common. And it was operating between those two lines of improbable and impossible. Example, I love surrealistic art. Uh-huh. And I never understood why. I love Magritte and I love, you know, oh, and, and, and now I understand that it's this, this fine line between dream and reality, improbable and impossible. I think about photography that I love. It tends to be photography where you can layer images to create uh, dreamlike sure. yeah, yeah. Uh, images. I, I think about jazz, which I love, and, and the ability to play off of the audio, play off of the other band members, and it's never exactly the same way twice, you know, mm-hmm. and and other areas of my life too. I want to come to those other areas of your life because I think that's a really interesting intersection. But before we go there. You have a wonderful story to tell about participating in Magic Cuba. (laughs) I want to know what made you decide to go? I'm guessing you were curious to learn. And was, you know, was there anything that you were hoping to learn about yourself in making that trip? Yeah, I was always curious about Cuba. I had heard that it it was like America in the 1950s and Given the or cars, just, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The time stood still, and and it's, and as you know, it's very difficult to get to Cuba. You have to have a reason. And yeah. the people who organized this event got clearance to perform for a week on the streets of Havana and in the theaters of Havana, and to embrace the magicians of uh, Cuba, the local magicians, and share with them these these insights. Very cool. And yes, you know, I am not among the top 50 magicians in the world, 
by any means, but I'm, I'm in the loop. Let's just say uh -huh. that. Uh -huh. So I found out about it and I thought, wow, what a great opportunity. I've always wanted to see Cuba. I knew some of these magicians and some of them are my close up heroes in magic. And what a great way to uh, get entrenched into this world and to get to know them and to be tourists at the same time. Now, a big part of this week-long event was a, a competition called the Un Truco Challenge. And uh, this was a three-day competition. Un Truco is one trick? One trick, one trick challenge. You, one you trick could perform challenge. one okay. trick, one and done, in front of this panel of esteemed judges. Wow. So I went the first day, and I was intimidated because yeah. the performances were exceptional. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, oh, no, I, I can't possibly do this. I'm just a quote-unquote student. So the second day I went, and I was even more intimidated. And the guy who ran the event said, this is your chance. It's yes or no. Forever or hold your peace. Now or never. And I said, okay. So I took a deep breath, and I decided I would do this. But I had to do it in a way different than... The other magicians. So I decided that I would focus on the script, focus on the presentation rather than the trick, uh -huh. and create the context and the motivation to the point where I would have enough gravitas, there would be enough substance and, and truthfulness about this, that people would be on the fine line between what was this magic or was this reality? Was uh -huh. this... It was that space I was telling you about. So, so I told the story when when I was um, president of Digital Media for National Geographic. It gave me the opportunity to travel the world, and in doing so, I would see some of the greatest magicians out there. It was a great opportunity, and I was really curious about certain magicians who had to overcome significant physical challenges. So, this one magician, his name is Richard Turner. He is one of the greatest close-up magicians alive, and he happens to be blind. Oh, wow. He's blind. Yeah. So I created this script uh, about a blind magician, similar to Richard Turner, not necessarily him, and uh, created an effect where cards were selected and they were mixed up in a clear plastic bag, and I was blindfolded, and um, I, I found the three signed cards, and I had to do the presentation both in English and in Spanish, and I ended up winning the competition, That's much amazing. to my surprise. That's amazing. And and it it taught me well. A it was a wonder. It was wonderful to get accepted by the magic community, but also it it uh, has led me to think about this uh, in my next chapter of life and uh, writing scripts and themes where. The audience can take away something of significance. Mm -hmm. There is enough gravitas and reality to it where you're just not sure what you're seeing, whether it really is uh, magic or, or uh, skill. Well, what's so interesting to me about that is the true art in creating what feels like a truthful magic moment, whether there's magic involved or not. And that makes me think about your business life yes. and how in the last couple of minutes, you know, talk about how you've been able to translate some of these skills and craft and insights into your business life, because I just can only imagine you have. 
Definitely. When, when you think like a magician, it spills out into other areas of your life. In terms of uh, my, my business decisions that I've made my career, I've been propelled by two aspects. One is a, a deep curiosity, as you can tell. Uh, and second is doing well by doing good. So I've always been attracted to mission-based organizations mm. where you can do really well in an environment that some say is improbable, if not impossible, to turn around. <laughs> so that's the first part. The second part is when you're a magician, you have to think about every possibility that can go wrong. You have to you have to see from the beginning through the conclusion and map out each of those necessary milestones, what can go wrong and if something goes wrong, what those outs are. That's mm -hmm. what they use the term in, in magic. So in giving presentations, that was really helpful to be a step ahead of the audience in terms of questions that they might ask, concerns, criticisms, et cetera. And in terms of strategy, creating strategy and implementing strategy, thinking like a magician has really helped me because before I can dive into a situation, I have to think it through. Mm -hmm. I have to think it through to the conclusion. I have to visualize the outcome and determine how we can best get there from point A to point B and then, you know, hire uh, people who are smarter than I to get that done. So that's what I'm attracted to. And with Devexi, we're in the process of handing off Devexi to a major uh, either hospital, university, or a health agency to do a lot of good in society. So if there are any mission-based organizations that are looking for help, I would be glad to uh, work with them. And they can link. They can link to me through LinkedIn if they choose to. I'd be oh, glad to help. Oh, I can think of one or two. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be my pleasure. It's my passion. Uh, it's wonderful. Well, before I let you go, are you ready for my big jar of wannabe analogies? I think so. Okay. Okay. So there is absolutely no magic or sleight of hand involved in this. This is just. So you say. So, you so say, I say it's all magic. You've been, lear but, you've been you know. learning. You've been learning a lot. So I'm not sure. <laughs> That's right. So I have my my literal big jar has scraps of paper in it. On them are written uh, random words. We're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever's on these. So I have fan. Yours is lasso. And I have one for the audience. So do you want to go or you want me to go first? Um, take it away. Okay. How is curiosity like a fan? Um, well, just until we started recording, I had a fan going behind me. And I like that because a fan keeps things in light motion. And I think curiosity does the same thing. It keeps ideas, it keeps the figurative air around us in motion. And I think that creates these opportunities to be refreshed in the way that a fan does, but also to encounter things and to make connections between things that you might not otherwise. So that's how I see curiosity like a fan. How is it like a lasso? Hmm. I'm curious. See, that sparks a curiosity. If my answer isn't great, will it be cut out? <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that is no. Oh, okay, okay. All answers are great in this. I'm okay. always impressed with what people come up with. And you all, all right, do this so in the moment. The yes, audience needs to understand not, that. This was not planned. We have never, as Mission say, we have never met before. Yeah. <laughs> we have met before, uh, but we did not rehearse this. <laughs> we did not. Okay. How is curiosity like a lasso? I would say that curiosity, when, when, you, when you're curious about something and you want to try to understand the essence of that, 
whatever it is, that essence sometimes is in motion and it's evolving. And with a lasso, you try to, you know, wind it up and, and try to capture that essence, but oftentimes you miss yeah. uh, several times. And that's because it's, 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 it's ephemeral. It's, it's hard to capture, but when you do capture it, it's only the beginning. Nice. That's when, that's when, that's when the, the journey begins. I have visions of rodeos and, you know, is it good or bad when you actually capture that bucking bronco with your last? That's lovely. Thank you. Thank you. And audience, yours is supernova. How is curiosity like a supernova? I don't know. Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Mitch, this has been delightful. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. You can find all my previous shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, and on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. Don't forget to send us your supernova analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to Mitch Praver for indulging my fascination with his craft his generous list of recommended reading and viewing that I'm having such fun with is an amazing dive into the art of magic. Check it out on my website. Thanks too to Larry Robertson for making the introduction. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack, and this is We Build with Rubber Bands by Lemuel via Blue Dot Sessions. Let yourself be amazed by something magical today. I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. So you have talk show hosts, right, who are by nature inquisitive, right? You have film directors who carefully craft what's in the viewfinder and not. There are wartime strategists who have become magicians, like General Schwarzkopf, etc. And there are former heads of the CIA who are by nature inquisitive. And I can give you examples of those who have become magicians. So it's kind of interesting that there's this common thread. So if you were to ask me, how will magic evolve in the coming years? There's definitely an influx of women, great performers, great performers. There is definitely an influx of people of color and there's definitely an influx of youth. And all of those things are going to impact magic. And there's also an influx of the internet connecting people all over the world because the styles of magic are so different in Spain versus Italy versus Japan versus Korea versus UK versus, and we're all learning from each other. So those are ways that magic will get better and better. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. 
For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.